This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. Another Monday morning here in Southern California. A little chilly. Um, uh, this I'm just going to call this the extended winter. I mean, I get it. It is February still, but it should be warming up by now, at least just a little bit. Um, you know, in California, we go down into the the 60s, the 50s, but usually it's for a pretty short amount of time. Then we're back up to the 70s and 80s where, where we like it. Um, but it has been down in the 60s, low 60s sometimes for a really long time this year. It just feels like it's, it's an extended winter, like I said. But anyways, um, I hope all of you are doing well wherever you're at around the country or around the world. What is it today? February 13th, 2023. So happy Valentine's Day, a day early. Um, but let's go. Welcome back. Um, minute of transparency this week. I'm just going to call this Drowning My Sorrows. So I've been pretty transparent on this podcast about the fact that I had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, but here's a slightly different variation on that theme. So before my life blew up, I actually had a very negative view of her. We had spent some time together in high school and college, but things didn't work out. So we chose not to spend any more time together. Then, at some point, I decided to call her. We met, hung out for a while, and decided we should try dating again. It was fun at first, exciting, liberating. After all, don't we all deserve to be happy? Over time, things became more intense. We started hanging out all the time. And then things just got weird. It's like we couldn't live without each other. But at the same time, things were starting to change. Spending all of our time together brought out a different side of our personalities. We weren't bringing out the best in each other anymore. In fact, we were exposing things in each other that weren't very helpful. And other people were starting to see through the cracks. The cracks in our relationship. We tried to hide our problems. We put on the best face we could when we were around other people. But eventually, there was nothing we could do. Too many people could see through our smokescreen. So we had to start lying, pretending that we weren't really together anymore. We had to start sneaking around to see each other. We had to meet in hidden and dark places. And when we were apart, we thought about each other constantly. And we planned how we could be together again. But this distance just made things worse. Now, when we got together, the interaction was intense and at times violent. Call it a love-hate relationship because that's really what it was. With intensity on both sides, right? Intense love, enjoying the part about being together, right? Enough to keep playing the game. But intense hatred at the same time. Enough to try and break things off from time to time. If only that was possible. By now, the hooks were embedded deep. She had this hold over me that I couldn't seem to shake. I knew she wasn't good for me, 
but I had to have her at the same time. Every time I thought I was ready to leave, she would just climb back into my life and tell me that I was no good without her. And for some ridiculous reason, I believed her, right? I thought my life would be empty without her. I thought that I would never find someone else. I couldn't imagine what life would be like on the other side. But then one day, out of the blue, everything changed. For some reason that day, I felt just strong enough. Or maybe it wasn't me at all. Maybe it was the hand I felt on my shoulder, the faint voice telling me that I wasn't alone. A familiar voice from my past, but one that I hadn't heard in a really long time. With all the strength I could muster, I called her and told her it was over. I cleaned out the house, I got rid of her stuff, and then I began the uphill battle. I gritted my teeth and I clenched my fists. I distracted myself and tried to think happy thoughts. One day down, then two, a week, a month, and before you know it, one year without her. I met other people. I started to feel like my old self again. I was able to find joy in the little things. I was able to act on my creative impulses, do things that I didn't have the time or energy to do before. And then, before you know it, another milestone. Last year in August, I celebrated five years without her. Now, obviously, I wasn't talking about a dating relationship. I was talking about my relationship with alcohol. But isn't it interesting how the two kind of just fit hand in hand? A bad relationship with alcohol, very similar to a bad relationship we have with another person. Now, I ended it by saying I celebrated as if it was a birthday or something, right? But it really wasn't a, celebr a celebration. In fact, the day probably came and went just as any other day. But at some point last year, I do remember doing the math and trying to figure out how long it had actually been. And that's when I realized I'd been sober for five years. I didn't throw a party and I didn't share this revelation with my family or anyone. I simply acknowledged the milestone in my own mind, said a quick prayer, thanking God for his help in the process, and I moved on. But one question that has never really been answered directly is why. Why do some people struggle with alcohol and others don't? And why was I on the struggle bus, right? What did I do to deserve that? As with anything, there were probably multiple factors at play, right? Something this big rarely has a simple answer. But what I want to do today is talk about one of the causes, one of the things that has to be in there somewhere. And that thing is called disappointment. For me, there's a good chance that alcohol was a solution to my disappointment. Today's topic, transcending disappointment. Chapter one, speed kills. Chapter two, aiming for the wrong target. And chapter three, reducing excess. Chapter one, speed kills. A while back, I listened to a series of podcast episodes by Craig Groeschel at Life Church in Oklahoma. Uh, the series was called Peace of Mind, and I put the link in the show notes if you're interested. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the points he made, but I do want to summarize the entire series just to help us kick this off. He starts out by discussing mental health myths, right? Then there's an episode on worry, one on anxiety, one on depression, negative thoughts, trauma, burnout, all of the things that that kind of seem at the forefront of what we're dealing with in, in society today. So if you're dealing with any of those things, you might want to go check out that series 
um, if it's something that you struggle with. Uh, but for me, it was a really good reminder of the things that we get caught up in, right? Things that typically lead to unhealthy, negative behavior. And this unhealthy behavior comes out in a variety of ways and at different levels of impact. On the annoying but not debilitating side, there are things like worry and disappointment. But we can also experience more severe issues related to these like anxiety and depression. And Craig does a really good job describing the difference between, for example, worry and anxiety. So he explains that worry is very specific and typically it's something that we have control over. In other words, I worry about being late to the airport. Now, I have control over that, right? Because I can determine when I leave the house. Anxiety, on the other hand, is irrational. It's worrying about things that we have no control over. So worrying about travel in general, not just being to the airport late, but just in general worrying about travel and experiencing some irrational fear that something bad may happen, even though it's highly unlikely. Now, I don't remember Craig doing the same for depression and disappointment, but I believe it's very similar. So to me, disappointment is very specific, right? It's something that we can somewhat control. We're often, for example, disappointed with our weight, but we can do something about it, right? We can eat better or we can exercise a little bit. Depression, on the other hand, goes a lot deeper and isn't quite as rational. Uh, and it's often a symptom of bigger issues going on in our life. When, when we get into this rut where all we can do is view life as terrible and we have no energy or mo motivation to even get out of bed, these feelings can be so intense that the ability to do something about it often feels out of reach, similar to my unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So that's where I want to start with this high level understanding of the unhealthy negative responses to the human condition. How can we respond to the difficulties that we face in life? Now, these aren't the only ones, right? People struggle with things like self-centeredness, anger, and addiction of every kind. But for this episode, I just want to touch on the biggies and then dial it back to this little thing called disappointment. Because I'm trying to figure out if that played a role in my life or if it plays it today. In other words, looking back on my life, could I make the case that disappointment led me down the wrong path at times? And is it still happening today? Now, I called this chapter Speed Kills for a reason because I want to work through three very specific ideas related to disappointment. And the first is speed, how fast we're moving through life. Now, this will be 100% different for everyone, right? Different based on your location, culture, and internal makeup. So let's start with location, right? Life moves at different speeds based on the country you're from, the culture you live in. Um, if you're in the country versus the big city, um, even the region of the country can influence, influence this, right? Like living in the South versus living on the East Coast versus living in Silicon Valley. So yes, location can definitely play a big role in the speed of life that we experience. But the speed of life can also be determined by our culture, right? So how we were raised, the religion that we were part of, or the beliefs we have about the purpose and meaning in life. And finally, speed is internal, right? It's within us on some level. Some people are driven and move really fast. Others move a bit slower. 
And I think this exists outside of the first two that we discussed above. In other words, I believe that there are people in Silicon Valley who move just a bit slower than everyone else. And I believe that there are probably people in the South who just can't sit still and are constantly on the move. Because there is an internal speedometer in each of us as well. So the obvious question is, who cares? Why are we talking about speed, how fast we're moving through life? Well, because I'm wondering if it plays a role in disappointment. If, because we're moving so fast, we don't have the capacity at times to stop and smell the roses, so to speak. If the speed of life keeps us so off kilter that we're just never satisfied, or at least only satisfied for short periods of time. Our pastor back in the day, Mark Beeson, used to preach about this on a regular basis. And the phrase that he always used was something like this, velocity and intimacy are enemies, or as velocity increases, intimacy decreases. Now, he typically discussed this whole idea when he had a, you know, a message about marriage or relationships, right? Suggesting that speed keeps you from really being with the other person, being present. But I believe it's the same thing with contentment. What I'd like to suggest is that contentment is the opposite of disappointment. Now, the faster that we're going in life, the harder it might be to experience contentment or the more disappointment we might start to experience. Now, I talked about speed in terms of location, culture, and something internal, but I left out one big one on purpose, and that's technology. There's no getting around the fact that technology increases velocity, or at least creates the possibility for velocity. Nothing speeds up our lives faster than the technology that is part of our life. The obvious discussion here is about mobile devices, texting, email, social media, and all of that. But before we get there, let's talk about something more subtle, just basic technology. For example, a dishwasher. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with a dishwasher. And I would say that most people have come to look at a dishwasher as being just a normal and mandatory part of their life, right? At least in my country, in my region, in my cultural setting, it's just a required piece of life. But when you peel back the layers, you find that the dishwasher is simply a velocity-generating device. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at two scenarios. First is the couple who eats together throws their dishes in the dishwasher quickly, and goes on to the next thing. Second is the couple who eats together, has no dishwasher, so washes their dishes by hand in the sink together before going on to the next thing. Notice the difference? In scenario one, the act of washing dishes together is removed, which speeds up life just a little bit. In scenario two, it took a little bit longer to do the dishes, which slowed life down a little. Now, you can argue that the couple in scenario one were able to get out of the kitchen quickly and then spend more time together on the couch talking. And I would agree 100%. Technology does provide this option at times. But the question is this, does that typically happen? Is that really what probably happened after they threw their dishes in the dishwasher? Or do we tend to use that extra time to get other things accomplished? With the time that we saved from the dishwasher, do we head back out, get the car washed, drop a few things off at the UPS store, grab some snacks for the week? Now, I know, I know, right? I'm probably ruffling a few feathers here, especially with people like my wife 
go-getters, right? People who are always on the go, always having something important to get done. And I'm not opposed to having a dishwasher. I just am simply using this as an illustration. And I'm not saying that we throw out the dishwasher or the stove or our washers and dryers and return to a life with clotheslines and open fires. But at the same time, I don't want us to miss the fact that technology creates velocity or at least the ability for us to speed up our lives, right? If you take all of those things, the dishwasher, the stove, the washer and dryer, all of these things make life a little bit easier so that we don't have to do those things which then opens up free time. But that free time is typically put back into getting things done, right? Moving faster, doing more. There's no getting around this, right? Okay, let's wrap up with the obvious, right? Laptops, iPads, televisions, phones. I mean, there's no doubt that they create more velocity in our lives. They keep us connected to work, family, friends, 24-7 right? We're able to communicate with any person at any time, day or night. We have access to a world of information at our fingertips, right? Or by simply asking our device the right question. And through social media, we have a fire hose of data, information, images, video, and ideas that just stream directly into our mind. There's no getting around the fact that this creates velocity in our life. It speeds things up. So why does speed kill, you ask? Why does velocity lead to disappointment? Well, I don't have all the answers, but here are at least two that jumped into my head this week. First, speed creates unfinished business. Simply put, the faster we go, the more things we are doing. The more things we are doing, the greater the responsibility. The greater the responsibility, the greater the expectations that other people put on us or that we have of ourselves. And we've, when we fail to keep up with these things, we, we experience disappointment, right? Either disappointment in ourselves for not being able to keep up or disappointment in our lives for being so difficult. Number two, speed keeps us from enjoying the moment. So when we're constantly moving from one thing to the next, we don't have time to fully experience the present moment, both good and bad, right? We miss out on the joy that comes from accomplishing something good because the next thing has already started demanding our attention. And we tend to lock bad things away in that dark room in the back of our minds so that we can move on and not drop any of the spinning plates that are up of our head. Chapter two, aiming for the wrong target. There's nothing worse than aiming at the wrong target. Matthew Emmons, a U.S. Olympian, was on the brink of receiving a gold medal but unfortunately he shot at the wrong target and he wound up in eighth place. Jim Marshall scoops up a fumble in a famous NFL game and runs the wrong way into his own end zone. Tammy and I, the other night we were at a high school game when a player on our team knocked the ball away from an opposing player and it went directly into our own net, scoring points for the opposing team. And who hasn't started driving somewhere only to realize that you put in the wrong address into Google Maps? It is unfortunate when we spend a lot of time and energy on something only to find out that we're aiming at the wrong target. And this is the second thing that I believe creates disappointment within us. I believe that we create disappointment for ourselves when we're aiming at the wrong thing, when we create the wrong target, when we believe that something is important and it really isn't. 
when the goals that we set for ourselves turn out to be the wrong goals. Now, this is going to get a bit controversial because my theory here is based on a Christian worldview. So if that isn't your experience, you may take some exception to my assertions, but at least hear me out. So in this chapter, we're moving from the speed of life more into the meaning of life, right? Not how fast we're moving, but if we've chosen the right things to move toward. We could use words like purpose and meaning, right? Because ultimately these words are what we define the target that we're aiming at, right? If, if we have targets in our life, there's a close uh, relationship between those targets and what we view as purposeful or meaningful things in life. Now, as Christians, this is where we struggle, right? Because the Bible flat out tells us that we have options. Verses like uh, John 15, 19 and John 17, 14 through 16 are used to create the mantra, be in the world, but not of the world. And 1 John 2, 15 takes it a step further. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. So for the Christian, we've been kind of raised with this dichotomy, right? Sacred versus profane, godly versus worldly, spiritual versus secular, things like that. And this really relates back to this target that we're aiming at, the purpose and the meaning that we're trying to put into life. We're either aiming at these things that the Bible says are important, or we're aiming at the things that the world says are important. And according to the Bible, if we aren't aiming at the right things, we're going to be disappointed. But as we all know, life isn't that black and white. Life happens, or so the saying goes, right? We live in the world and we interact with the world. So we're bound to have worldly targets once in a while, right? Pursuits like buying a home, driving the car you want, making money, playing the stock market, making a name for yourself, leaving a legacy. These are all things that we find ourselves faced with from time to time. And most aren't wrong, right? But where things start to go wrong is when we place more emphasis on these things than other things. In other words, how focused we get on them. So back to Matthew Emmons, uh, the Olympic sharpshooter. So Matthew was the best in the world. He understood the game. He knew the rules. He understood what target he needed to hit. But when he transitioned from looking down range with the naked eye to looking through his scope on the rifle, something happened. The rifle was pointed at the wrong target. But because Matthew didn't realize it, his tunnel vision took over and all he was focused on was the small little circle in the middle of the blue target. It wasn't until he took his shot that he was able to look up and realize his mistake. That, of course, and the gasps from the crowd at the venue. But what a good illustration for us, right? How many times do we find ourselves focused on something only to realize that it wasn't the right thing, that it was a distraction, that it was actually harming us, or that it was leading us down a path that we didn't want to go down. Now, for each of us, this will look a little different, right? For me, there's the spiritual component. I battle between focusing on my relationship with God and others and worldly pursuits, being focused on others or focusing on myself, pursuing financial gain or worldly recognition versus growing closer to my creator. For me, this is where disappointment can creep in. First, when I achieve worldly goals and realize that they were the wrong goals, that's disappointing. Second, when I don't achieve worldly goals and I start to feel sorry for myself, that's disappointing. 
And finally, when I realize that I'm aiming at the wrong target, again, that's disappointing. So what do you do with all that disappointment, right? Well, my working hypothesis is that drinking for me may have been a solution, right? That by drinking, I was able to drown out my disappointment and just keep moving forward. I was able to forget about the fact that my worldly success wasn't fulfilling and that I was missing the mark in many areas of my life. Now, unfortunately, this little home remedy blew up in my face and it became one more thing that I was a failure at. Again, I'm not going to blame my struggle with alcohol completely on disappointment, but I think I could make the case that it played a supporting role. Chapter 3, Reducing Excess. So the final thing that I wanted to talk about today is excess, right? We've talked about the speed of life. We've talked about aiming at the wrong target. But we also live in a world of excess, materialism, capitalism, the desire for things, for stuff. At least in the U.S. and especially in places like Orange County where I live, the world is your oyster, right? Everything is at your fingertips. Living here in Orange County, you can see the entire socioeconomic spectrum right outside your front door. You have the homeless or the unhoused, which is a huge population here uh, in Southern California. You have migrant workers in a myriad of, uh, of occupations like landscaping and agriculture. You have mid-level occupations like teachers, retail workers, policemen, technical careers. Uh, then you have the upper class with multiple homes and boats in the marinas. All the way up to the ultra-rich, right? These are the people who drive their Lamborghinis and McLarens to pick up their kids from elementary school, for crying out loud. And they probably have vacation homes in the south of France. Like I said, the entire spectrum, sponsored by this little thing we call capitalism, right? Which is a good thing, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's capitalism that allows for these socioeconomic extremes. Capitalism is based on excess, right? It's based on material goods or what we'll just call stuff. Making stuff, selling stuff, having stuff, buying stuff, having more stuff than your neighbors, showing off all your stuff, and yes, even taking stuff, stealing stuff, or taking stuff from people legally just through loopholes in our system. But what does stuff have to do with disappointment? Well, that should be obvious, right? If our target is the stuff, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because there's always more stuff. We never have enough stuff. People always have more stuff than us. And when you get the stuff they have, you realize there's a whole different level of stuff that you didn't even realize existed. And here's the other problem. They keep making newer and better stuff. See where this is going? Stuff is like a mirage. It's always there right in front of us. It looks attainable, but when we get there, it just keeps moving a little farther away, but still visible and still very enticing. And when we launch ourselves down this road of attaining stuff, having excess, when we make it our target, then we experience disappointment along the way. Let's land the plane. First, let me try to summarize this entire episode, right? I believe that we can combat ongoing disappointment by doing the following. First, prioritize, right? Make sure that we put first things first. And here's a little suggestion on how to do that. Step one, focus on who made us. So 
as a Christian, for me, this means God, the creator, and spending time thinking about him, right? Just thinking about the fact that he exists and, and how small we are in comparison to him. If you're not a Christian, this simply means taking the focus off of yourself and your circumstances and trying to see how you fit into the larger story that's being written. Step two, if, the, if step one was focus on who made us, step two is focus on who we are. So again, as a Christian, this means remembering that I'm a little kid who is loved by a universal parent and that we're stumbling through life, doing good things, and at the same time making mistakes. But the whole time, this God is watching with a smile on his face, right? He's just glad to be part of our journey. If you're not a Christian, this might just look like self-acceptance right? Accepting who you are as a person and choosing to place value on yourself that may not be there right now. Step three, focus on the fact that we're all in this together. Now, this isn't easy, right? Especially in today's polarized climate. Our culture wants us to be us versus them in everything, pitting races against each other, socioeconomic levels against each other, political parties against each other. But what if we started viewing our neighbors the same way as we view our friends, right? This, this whole thing that we're just all people trying to make our way through life, right? We all came from the same place and we're all headed toward the same inevitable ending. Imagine how different life would be if we lived like we were all in this together. And finally, step four, focus on the simple things in life. So what would it look like to live a life without dogmatic targets related to power, fame, money, success, and the accumulation of more stuff? Second, I only have one question for you this week. So when you look at your life, the question is, have you taken any of the steps above? If so, awesome. I'm happy for you. If not, what would it look like to take one step in the right direction this week? All right, folks, that's it for today. Um, I hope this little reminder helps decrease some of the disappointment that you're experiencing in your own life, even just a little. Um, thanks again for joining me. Um, I don't do this very often, but every once in a while, it does help to remind people that if you like what you're hearing, if you like this podcast, um, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're uh, consuming this podcast. Always helpful in moving it up the charts and uh, helping more people find it. So if you feel like you can do that this week, awesome. Thank you in advance for that. As always, everyone, have a great week and keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels. And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.